So as I said today, we're uh, going to talk about the love of God. I don't know if there's a better way to, to put that, but that's, that's what we're going to be doing. We'll be jumping around a lot in the scriptures, so I'm going to try to put them up there and give them to you. Um, so my, my encouragement to you would be to write down the passages that you see so you can go back and check them out more thoroughly over the week because we'll be looking at a lot of passages. Um, but most of them will be out of the Gospel of John. So if you want to grab a pew Bible or, or uh, your, your, your Bible that you brought or your phone or whatever, um, the Gospel of John is where we're going to be spending the most of our time. There's a hymn that um, I have been uh, just spending a fair amount of time with over the past few weeks. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing is the name of the hymn. And it goes, oh, for, the first line is, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. I read too much science fiction because the first thing I like about this is how odd that sounds. And I think of like a thousand tongued alien creature that's, you know, and uh, that's, that's that. that I, just, I just thought that that's the first thing I thought when I saw that, that tagline, that, that title. I thought, well, that's a weird thing to say. But then it struck me as I, as I read and, and began to sing this, this hymn, I mean, making it part of my personal uh, praise and worship times, that it's a really lovely thing to say about anyone. Like if Laura said, oh, I wish I had more voices to praise the glories of you, O Jordan. I'm going to be like, wow, that's, right? Wow, she really likes me. I mean, this is what we're saying to God. God, I wish that, that's what the, the, the hymnist is saying. God, I wish, I wish there was some way that not just only could I make my voice louder, but I could like multiply it. Because you deserve not one voice, but a thousand voices. You deserve not one praise, but a thousand praises. You deserve... Not just just one song, but a thousand songs. Like you, you it, praising God, and this is this is a love song, not not a sappy Taylor Swift song. I don't know. I couldn't think of anybody. Not 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 rooted in just kind of like how I feel. It's doctrinal. Um, it's meaningful. It's deep, and it, and it calls forth this idea of the church declaring the glory of God. And that emanates from a heart of love. That emanates from the love of God, or at least it should. And the love of God should be something that is evident in our lives. You ever meet somebody who's like freshly in love? They're so annoying, aren't they? Like, just talking, oh man, and she's this and he's that and blah, blah, blah. These teenagers, right, you know? Or somebody who's just had a child and they got to pull their phone out and show you this like just popped out like baby. And they all look the same for the first like three weeks or purple mush. I mean, that's, that's all they are, you know. But I mean, even I, like, you know, yeah, I got a picture of the baby. I got like two or three. So funny story, just side, side note. Like baby just comes out. So like covered in the goo and everything, right? And the ladies, uh, the, like the text, like hold her up. And, like, you want to take a picture of her? And I was like, no, clean her up. Like, why? People are weird, right? But that's the love like, that you have, that you have for this. And, it's, and it's, it's alive and it's exciting and it's new and you want to tell everybody about it. Is that anything akin to your love for God? Is that anything akin to your love for God? And you might say to me, well, Jordan, I, listen, I, I've been in love with God for a long time. That God, I've been a Christian and I've been walking with God for a long time. And you know that that kind of, that kind of initial excitement doesn't last forever. I know. I know I get it. I get it. 
But if you have a passion in your life, something that you've been at for a long time, some, some hobby, some a family member, you're, you've been married for a long period of time, that, that marriage, that love, the, that just kind of becomes a part of who you are. Like, you couldn't hang out with me for any length of time without Laura and the girls coming up. Well, you're just going to happen. And you don't have to ask me those like, dumb questions like, well, are you married? You know, you, do you have kids? You know, these, these questions that we, that we ask one another to try to get one. You, you wouldn't have to ask me. And it, just, it would pop up because there's so much a part of my life that it just comes, comes out. The stories that I have, the interest that I have, the love that I have, it, it's, it's directed right there. You might say the same thing about, not comparing my wife to Star Trek, okay? I didn't do that. But there are other interests that we have that come out in conversations. You know what I'm talking about? You with me? There are Christians that could go their whole lives. You could go your whole working life, and the only thing people know about you is, well, maybe he goes to church, or maybe she goes to church. But do they know that you love God? Do they know that you love God, that you're passionate about God, that you could say with the, the hymn writer, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, oh, for a thousand voices to praise, oh, for a thousand mouths, because God, your glory is so wonderful. Is it just a part of you? So much so that people notice. Because I want to talk about the love of God, and I, and I, and I want to get us all thinking about that, but we can't really go any further until we first analyze and ask the question, how much do you love God? Where is that at in your life? If I want my marriage to get better, what do I have to do? You have to begin by assessing where my marriage is at, right? You with me? Same thing is true of the love of God. Where is, where is the love of God? What level is that at in your life? Are you, as, uh, as Tozer uh, puts it, following hard after God, or are you, eh. Last week I shared with you that the, the phrase um, eternal life uh, happens 45 times in the New Testament, which indicates to us that it's kind of a meaningful phrase. Uh, love appears 235 times, which indicates Yes, thank you. Bill's with me. That's probably more important, or at least as important. It's an important thing. Love. And I want to highlight for us this morning the love of God, but beginning with the love of the Father to the Son. Have you ever thought about this? You ever paid attention to how often the Bible talks about, Jesus talks about how much God loves him? I'd never really thought about that before until I was reading the Gospels. Here's, here's one example, John 3, 34 through 36. Uh, For he, that is Jesus, whom God has sent, that's God the Father, has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Notice the Trinitarian value in this line. You have Jesus, you have God the Father, and you have the Holy Spirit. Right? This is one of the dividing lines between us and other um, Religions such as Islam is a dividing line between us and um, what we might call cultic expressions of Christianity, like Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or things like that, where we believe there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in one being. This is a grand mystery. It is not a logical contradiction. We simply don't have the experience of one being with three personalities. It's something we run into very often, or if at all, in our, in our life. But this is the revelation that we have from God. So God is one and in three persons. And this is going to matter as we continue on. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I leave this line here to connect back to 
last week's sermon. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. Specifically noticing there, verse 35. The Father loves the Son. Which is probably like, okay, I I don't have to work hard to prove that to you. But I want you to see that it pops up more than once. This happens also in John 5.20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him, that is Jesus, all that he, that is God, is doing. The Father loves the Son. But not only does the Father love the Son, the Son loves the Father. How does the Son show the Father that he loves him? With words, John 14, 10, do not believe that I am, uh, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me, is in me? Words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who does or who dwells in me does these works. In other words, God gives Jesus words. He gives him uh, uh, messages and Jesus delivers those messages to people around him. That faithfulness in delivering the messages that God has given him reflects the love of Jesus to the Father and builds confidence in Jesus that the Father does love him. Similarly, next, the commands. Commands. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have what? Kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. So Jesus reflects the love of God and lives within the love of God because he does what the father commands. The father, like a king, says, and you can imagine this in your own life. Like if you, uh, anybody, you supervisor, or maybe you have children, and you say, hey, go and do this, and they run off, or you volunteered, anybody volunteered for VBS, like the nightmare of VBS. And you've got all these things going on, and you say to a kid, I need your help, I need you to go do this, and this kid says, all right, and runs off immediately, no complaints, no talk back, they don't don't stop off to get a drink, they don't stop off to get a cookie, they don't stop off to see their friends, run and they 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 do the errand and they come right back to you, and what do you think about this child? This is a good one, right? Uh, This is my favorite kid, because we have favorite kids, don't we? Like, be honest, if you've worked in youth ministry, come on. We have favorite kids. And that kid becomes your favorite. Why? Because they did what you said. You didn't have to worry about them. Just like this, Jesus is abiding in the love of God because he's doing, he's sharing the words and he's doing the commands. And then the last thing here, I didn't have enough space to give you all of the texts in one spot, so I just gave you the citations here. Uh, But the last thing here is self-giving. Jesus is giving of himself to others. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So we see all three of these things at work. We see God loves Jesus the Son. Is that hard for you to believe? No. No, that's not really hard to believe. Jesus loves the Father. Is that hard to believe? No. There's a reciprocity of relationship there. There, There's love there. And I I expected that as I would say these things, you're probably sitting here thinking, okay, has this got a point to it? Like, no duh. But it's interesting, isn't it, how often Jesus has talked about this. Why is Jesus belaboring this point? In so many different places, in different contexts in his story, he stops everyone. He says, listen, I want you to know God loves me. And I want you to know that I love God. Why is it so important for Jesus to say this over and over and over again. 
All the people around him are going to be like, yeah, gee, we know, we know, we know, we know. Well, perhaps it's because he's trying to draw a parallel. As the Father has loved me, what's it say? So I have loved you. I have not found Christians, um, and here I'm speaking mostly to Christians, but maybe, maybe you're not a Christian here today and, 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 and you're in the same boat, but I didn't think it'd be hard for you to believe that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. What I find Christians don't believe is that God loves them. But Jesus has gone out of his way over and over again to draw a parallel, to say, I love God and God loves me. 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 In the same way, God loves you. If you believe that God can love Jesus, Jesus wants you to realize God also loves you. Without a wavering, without a, without a level, well, I like Jesus a little bit more. No, I love you just as, in the same way that I love my son, I love you. Jesus draws this out. Not only that, but what does he say? Abide in my love. Live in it. Let it fill you. Let it compel you. Let it bring you to peace. Let it bring you to joy. Let it impact your life so that other people can see that love rolling out of you and they might see you and want some of that as well. Now, the important question, of course, is this. How in the world do we do that? How in the world do we abide? How do you live in the love of God? Well, Jesus might have had some things to say about this. Words, John 8, 31. Jesus says to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you keep my word, then you belong to me. We read that earlier. I I read that in the verse uh, 10, no, 14, 10. These other verses where Jesus says frequently, if you you live in my words and share my words, then you, you, you have a place with me. Secondly, commands. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commands. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is or she it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him or her and I will manifest myself to that person. If you think to yourself, Jesus was confident that God loved him. How could I be confident that, I, that God loves me? Keep his words. Keep his commandments. And lastly, again, for space. And I know there's a lot on the screen there. So John 15, 11 through 13, be self-giving. These things are spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you notice that line? That's a powerful line, isn't it? That all of these words, all of these teachings, all of these things that Jesus is, is busy doing and sharing and trying to communicate, all of these merit, all of this stuff, even the bits about judgment, even the bits about hell, even the warnings to stay away from sin, all of these are to create within you a reality of joy. That your joy, that my joy, the joy that Jesus had might be in you and that that, that, that would fill you up to full in the joy bucket, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> that my joy could be in you that your joy might be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And attached to that kind of love is greater love has no one than this than they lay down their life for their friend. Speaking specifically and specifically about the ways in which we disarm ourselves. We let go of our rights. We stop defending and we begin laying down and dying just as Jesus goes to the cross, which reveals, I think, hopefully you've already caught this, but that there is a great example. There is a reason why Jesus says over and over again, the Father loves me and I love the Father. The Father loves me and I love the Father. The Father loves me because I I share his words. The Father loves me because I keep his commands. The Father loves me because I'm self-giving. I give of myself to others. He's doing this so that we might see in him the same confidence the same depth of relationship, the same intensity of love that God the Father has with Jesus is available to every one of us. That if we share the words, if we keep the commandments, if we lay down our lives for one another, then we are truly dwelling in God. And to dwell in God is to dwell in love, to dwell in the love of God. This abiding love is the point. This is where Jesus is trying to draw us to see because Jesus, in the New Testament, the apostles, I mean, all the way through, they're not miserly and miserable. I mean, what does Paul say? I've known joy in every situation, in hunger and in nakedness and in beatings. Can you imagine that? That's the kind of joy that is available, the love that is available when we are abiding in Jesus Christ. When we're abiding in his love. But again, I think the issue is this. We're not convinced. We are either not convinced that God loves us or we are not abiding in that love. And one of the things I see a lot of Christians do is the the, the kind of attitude in life that they have attached to their idea of the love of God is very attached to an idea of fear. Like the reason they keep and love God is, is through fear. John, who wrote these words and recorded the life of Jesus, also wrote some letters towards the end of your Bible. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Why don't we abide in the love of God? Because I think we're afraid. Of God, We see God as a kind of a, a vindictive God who's going to just, his object, his existence, his, his reason for being is to bring, to bring punishment sometimes. It says here, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I loved Emery. Who's playing with her necklace? I loved Emery before she was born. Before she drew a breath, I loved her. Before she thought a thought, as far as we can tell. Before she was cognizant and able to think and talk and do all these things. Before she was able to respond to love, I loved her. Any parents in here know what I'm talking about? Any aunts or uncles in here know what I'm talking about? Godparents, you know what I'm talking about. We love babies. Before, they, before they're able to respond in any way, we're able to say, I love this child. And not only do I love this child with some kind of like gooey emotional stuff, um, which I didn't really have, like the baby moving, Lord say, oh, the baby's moving. I'd say, stay away from me. It's gross. I saw this movie. It doesn't end well. I don't want anything to do with it. When it's out, we'll talk. 
Not only do we, do we sort of have this emotional connection to it, but we have a commitment to it. I sure hope anyway, parents and, and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, we have a commitment that I am going to be faithful to this child. I, I'm going to take care of this child. I am not going to hurt this child. I'm going to see that this child has the food and things that they need. We, we have this idea of, of loving something before it loves us in the same way that we have this, this very human and, and small idea. God loved you before you ever responded before you ever knew his name, before you ever knew how to do anything about it, God loved you. What does Paul say? He says, while we were still rebel sinners, while we were still thumbing our nose at God, while we were still doing whatever we wanted to do, irregardless of whatever God told us to do, while we were in that state, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. 2,000 years ago, before you were born, God loved you. Imagine that. God who knew you, all of your sin, all of the times that you would say, I don't care what you say, God, I'm going to do it anyway. Jesus died for you. That's the extent of the love. And if you can grab hold of that love, that love should be the thing that motivates you and drives you. Shouldn't be fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Emery is not, I hope not anyway, afraid of daddy. She runs up and she asks for things all the time, so I'm pretty sure she's not afraid of daddy. Unless she does something wrong. Right? And then what do they do? <laughs> they hide. They, we have a thing where if she does something wrong, and, and mommy knows about it, and she's going to tell me about it. She's like, Emery's like, no, 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 don't tell Because <laughs> fear has to do with punishment. If we've done something wrong, there's punishment in the relationship. And one of the things that I see so many... So many Christians who hold orthodox positions of judgment and heaven and hell and recognize that there is going to be a judgment, sometimes what we do is we take, we take punishment and we take God and we make them one thing. But they aren't one thing. They aren't one thing. My attitude and disposition towards Emery is one of love. I love her. And because I love her, I want to see her grow up into maturity, to being a righteous woman who does what is good, whether being good is popular or not, who does what is good. And in order to see that happen, punishment and correction have to happen so that that child can grow up into that image. God punishes wickedness. God is not a God of punishment and wrath. It isn't that God's characteristic is one of those things. God is a God of love who, because he loves, corrects. Because he is a just judge, must judge, right? And so what I want you to do is separate those things in your mind and recognize who God is. God is love, and he's calling you to recognize that love so that the punishment and wrath, as we read earlier, can be completely set aside because Jesus took it on the cross. There's no reason to live in fear if you recognize the position that you've been given by the grace of Jesus Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the access that you have to God that you, like Jesus, can say, I love the Father and the Father loves me. I love the Father and the Father loves me. I love the Father and the Father loves me. Notice the difference, I give you a little kind of comparison. The difference in the attitudes that it would look like for us to live in fear versus living in the love of God. If we live in fear of God, we might say, well, I don't want to do this because I might offend God. And this is a good thing. 
If you are out there just kind of doing whatever you want, well, I don't care about God, and I don't care about... If, this, is, this is a good place to start, <laughs> right? It is better to, out of fear, not sin than to sin. But what a miserable life that is. Is that a life of joy? I'm afraid God's going to smite me, so I'm not going to commit sin. Rather, to live a life of love, a love of God, and abiding in that love will change to where we are now offended for God. When we see sin and we see how it breaks down the lives of the people around us, we're invited to participate in sin. We are, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm offended. That's, that, is, that is not me. I have no interest in that. We live in fear. We feel obligated to spend time with God. Oh, well, you know, now it's time to you know, go to church, or now it's time to read my Bible, now it's time to whatever. In love, what do you want to do? You want to spend time with God. You want to be with God. Just as I might say, if uh, I spend time with Laura because Laura says, listen, you haven't paid any attention to me for a couple of weeks, and it's time for you to spend time with me, and I say, fine, I'll do it. (laughs) This hasn't happened recently, so I'm not in trouble. (laughs) But, I mean, that, that's good. It's, it's good that I would, I would submit myself and say, yes, I will, I will do this out of fear of your wrath. <laughs> but how much better would it be for me to say, oh, man, I can't wait to spend time with you. Let's, let's do it. Let's go. How much better? How much more joy to live in love rather than live in fear? This is what John is getting at. Listen, you have to understand it's not that fear of God is, is, is bad, but, but if that's your motivation, what a poor motivation because the love of God should cast out the fear because fear has to do with punishment and if you're living in light of his love, you're keeping his word, you're keeping his commands, you're being self-giving. What fear have you of punishment? Jesus covers over any mistakes that you make, any stumbling that you have. We all have them. Perfect love casts out fear. You know you're supposed to serve God. Oh man, I know I should help with the children's ministry. I know I should do this. Fine, great. We will take begrudging children (laughs) helpers. We will take those. But how much better to say, I want to be where God is. And I know that God is working in these places where where he's revealing himself to these little ones or he's revealing himself to my neighbors or, or whatever ministry, you know, fill in the blank. And I want to be where God's spirit is moving. I want to do the things that God is about. I have a passion for the passions. I can tell you about dance moves. I can watch that stupid you, So You Think You Can Dance show. And I can critique. I, we've, we were watching season one, or not season, season whatever, the, whatever the current season is. For the first episode. And I was like, oh, that was, a, that was a bad, you know. And I just, I hated myself. I hated myself in that moment that I knew not only what the style was, but where the person had erred. I hated myself. Because the passions of the one I love become my passions. Like, I, we, I begin to care about the things she cares about, whether you like it or not. Like, that's what, that's what I'm trying to get across to you. Like it, isn't, it isn't so much that we're forcing this, but that we're living into it. I know that's a subtle difference, but do you see the difference? We're living into the love of God by constantly putting ourselves at his feet and enjoying his words, enjoying his commands, enjoying his presence, enjoying him. And that is available for for all of us. We love God because God 
loved us first. And not only did he love us with words, but he loved us with deeds, proving it throughout, through the coming of Abraham and Isaac and bringing the people through the wilderness. And we could just go on through the, through the scripture story, God preserving, protecting, and guiding his people to where we are today, where all of us are a part of a great lineage of God's grace stretching all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam, in light of Jesus. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. And if I can convince you of anything this morning, I I want to convince you of that. I want to convince you that God loves you deeply, really loves you. And that that love is so powerful and transformative that it can change everything. And I, I was struck by this. This is a realization to me this week, and maybe it's just old hat to you guys. You guys are all so spiritually mature. You, you probably already thought of this, but I thought of this for the first time this week of why the love of God is superior to every other thing. So every sin has a payoff, right? Can I get a witness? Yeah, every sin has a payoff. Otherwise, why do it, right? Where the, adultery has a payoff. Theft has a payoff. Drugs have a payoff. Everything has a payoff. You are in a spot and you get a high and you're like, that's awesome. And then what? Crash. And then you say to yourself along, you know, I mean, maybe a time period goes on. You're like, man, that was so good. I wish I could get back to that. In fact, I've, I've heard drug people who are involved in drugs talk about that. Like we're trying to get back to the first high. The first high was the best. We're just trying to get back to that. And so you, you commit adultery or you, you, you whatever, uh, and, and, and you get that high and then the crash, and then you go for a little time, and you're like, man, I really wish I want to experience that again. So you, you, you commit the sin again, and you get another high. You get a big payoff. You get a boom. Oh, you win the lottery. It's like $605 million. Like, that's a big high. Yeah. Wow. How long does that last? Eh, for a while. That's a lot of money. I can make that last for a while. And then it crashes. So you, what do you got to do? You take that money, you got to, I don't visit the river, whatever people would do with that kind of money. Again. I mean, and you buy something, you get another high, right? And you get that boom and then a crash. I mean, that's what, all, that's what these, this world is, whether we're talking about like sinful, terrible things, or we're even talking about good things, things that are wonderful. Coffee. Mm. Always need another cup, don't we? Yeah? Even good things. Everything in life is transitory. Everything in life has a payoff and a crash. You know what never crashes? You can live in the love of God. Like you can abide in the presence and peace and love of God. And there is always a payoff and there is never a crash. It occurred to me this week. That's that's why God's love is superior. That's why Jesus says, live in that love. It's superior to everything else. Nothing can compare to that. Nothing at all can compare to that. So much so that, as we talked about earlier, Paul can say, man, I've, I've had a lot, and I've had a little, and I've been in a shipwreck, and I've been clothes, and I've been naked, and I've been beaten, I've been hungry, I've been well-fed. I've had everything happen to me under the sun. And you know what I can say to it? I can say that in all of that, I had the joy of Christ. He can say, I was at the height of, of the heights. Like, how many of us are crawling through the corporate ladder trying to get the next thing, trying to get the next thing, trying to get the next Paul says, I reached the height of it. And you know what I found out? 
It's garbage compared to the love of Christ. I'd sell it all just to know him because there is nothing external that can happen to me that will change that high, that will change that love that I am abiding in moment by moment. That's why the love of God is superior to every other thing. That's why Jesus says, the Father loves me and I love the Father. The Father loves me and I love the Father. The Father loves me and I love the Father. So you can say, the Father loves me and I love the Father. And I abide in that love. And that love brings me to the fullness of joy and the fullness of peace. Why would I want anything else? This morning, if you don't know that love, or you've known that love and you've lost that love, we invite you to come forward to pray with our elders. We want to be a part of you going hard after God just as we are. We're in this together. If you need a place of membership, the church, or if you need anything, come on down. And we'll pray. Just, you're having a rough week and you need some prayer. Come down front and we'll pray with you. This week, abide in the love of God. Let's stand as we sing.